Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman, professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. I'm here with my usual co-hosts, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, and Todd Pruitt, PCA pastor of, uh, I always forget the name of the church, Todd. (laughs) Covenant (laughs) Presbyterian Church, Harrisonburg. Virginia, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 that it's that peculiar um, word covenant. You know that know. people oftentimes so, have a hard time um, remembering. It's actually Harrisonburg that I'm always confusing with Harrisburg, which is an entire yeah, that I do Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, Amy sent me an email the other day from a real rave from the grave. Uh, yeah. My best man, who I haven't seen since my first child was born, has managed to track me down through the podcast. Me, uh, because my email is available. Well, that's why I don't make my email available, because I don't <laughs> want to be tracked down by these people. <laughs> if I haven't spoken to you for 26 years, there's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually great to hear from Andy. Uh, just if you're listening out there, Andy, thanks for getting in touch. Um, clearly, I'm going to have to change my name and do a disappearing act and maybe move to Southeast Asia or something. Yeah. More vacation of spend, bringing people, old friends together. There yeah. you go. All I can say is for all of the dirty provided in that email to you, Amy, is <laughs> what kind of a man, when his best friend develops a foolproof way of avoiding double gym on a Wednesday afternoon, <laughs> snitches on him to the authorities? Wow. That's, that's the not. kind of man he was, age 17, 18. Well, now I've got some so, extra dirt on the old Carl yeah. Truman, thanks uh, to his old so best friend. Gang, if you're out, that was his nickname. It's Green, Gang Green. We called him Gang. <laughs> gang, if you're out there, I'm coming to get you, man, after all these shows. <laughs> which is a segue into the topic of today's yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. podcast, which is uh, a follow up to one we did recently on spiritual abuse. We thought uh, we would return to that topic by popular demand to uh, talk some more about how one might spot spiritual abuse. And what sort of actions one might take to address it when it occurs? It's interesting because I, I, I did receive a lot of feedback from that. In fact, I just got more today yeah. uh, just via emails of people uh, uh, thanking me for, for the program, people in my church, people who I've never met before. Yeah. Um, so it clearly See, I, I, struck I have nerve. zero feedback because I don't do any of the social media. Right. You don't communicate with anybody. I don't communicate so, with the outside world. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Spiritual apathy. Uh, we'll do another episode on that. There you yes, go. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I was pleased that, um, that it was helpful for, for so many people also sad that it's so relevant for so right. many people. And it was sad. It's sad to hear some of the, some of the stories. And, you know, when we talk about spiritual abuse, that can be a vague reference. Maybe people know exactly what we're talking about. I, I have a suspicion that some people might not know exactly what we're, uh, what we're talking about, but, you know, I mean, we're not talking about 
broad religious abuse that can go on in a cult or that kind of thing. When, you know, our audience is, is evangelical. So our concern is what goes on in churches Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, spiritual abuse being, um, uh, that kind of abuse, that kind of manipulation and harm that is done, um, in the name of God, in the name of Christ, in a, in a ministry setting, a church setting, um, at the hands of, of spiritual, uh, leaders, pastors, elders, that sort of thing. I would add to that, um, Mm -hmm. Todd, that, you know, and you've done a series on this when it's the congregation. Sure, it can so, I mean, it can be systemic yeah. right. spiritual abuse even done by a congregation right. to a pastor. Exactly. Should add that in there. Yeah, really good point. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you, Amy. It seems to me somewhat analogous to discussions we've had on the podcast in the past over grounds for divorce, mm. which uh, as good Presbyterians, we see as adultery uh, and abandonment. And we have... Uh, in previous episodes, ask, uh, uh, said that abandonment uh, can be construed in, in non-geographical ways, but in right. terms of uh, severe and extreme emotional abuse and desertion. Mm-hmm. But there was a problem there in some ways because a broken bone is a broken bone. A husband right. hits his wife, breaks her arm. It, mm-hmm. It's very clear cut in that kind of situation. When it comes to emotional abuse, it's like a lot of psychological categories, it's a much more tricky thing to define. And as a bit of background, every pastor will make a stupid mistake at some point. Every pastor will say something hurtful or do something Mm -hmm. hurtful. But not every pastor is a spiritual abuser and not every hurtful remark or hurtful action is spiritual abuse. How would you, uh, Amy, as a layperson, pause the situation yeah i would say that um spiritual abuse would be a pattern of violation Mm -hmm. usually that you would see in a pattern and some things um that they might be using are silencing manipulation unquestioned hierarchy um self-importance they can't be critiqued at all gaslighting isolating uh refusing accountability blaming others, like this pattern of these types of behavior. And, and they, it's because they need to have control. And so there's a lot of deception um, that first, and, and this, uh, I wanted to recommend right away, uh, Wade Mullins talk on how to spot spiritual abuse. You can find that on julieroys.com. And we're going to link that on our webpage. He goes to Jeremiah 5, 26 through 28. For wicked men live among my people. They watch like hunters, lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. So their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have grown powerful and rich. They've become fat and sleek. They have also excelled in evil matters. They have not taken up cases such as the case of the fatherless so that they might prosper. And they have not defended the rights of the needy. Um, So there's this idea of deception. And and they're, they're out to trap you. And they do that by objectifying and, and targeting people. Deception is really interesting there because it's that, it's that covering mm-hmm. um, which, which suggests a knowledge that this person has right. that they are doing something that is, that is wrong. I mean, no matter how yeah. they might and justify it's deceiving it. Because they use flattery. They use gift giving or helping or favors or, or building alliances with common experiences and opinions Mm -hmm. and they do all this to create trust but Mm -hmm. then at the same time they're going to dismantle 
<laughs> and so they're going to use fear to create distrust in their victims, right. you know, both internally and externally. Wade Mullins kind of breaks yeah. that down really well. Mm-hmm. So the, the victim of spiritual abuse isn't usually like, oh, that's spiritual abuse mm-hmm. right away. Like at first they're very confused and they are um, asking what's wrong with me. There's that gaslighting there and they don't want to appear that they're being overly sensitive mm-hmm. or um, that they're untrustworthy. So they're, they're not really likely to um, even be able to recognize it right away right? because the manipulation is so good. Mm-hmm. And, and then when they do, they're almost afraid to bring it forward. Yeah, it, se- it seems to me that, you know, otherwise reasonable and healthy people, their first response to abuse is, unless it's outright physical abuse, their first response is not, oh man, I'm being abused. They, they understandably try to find, oh, it must be something else, or maybe it's me, maybe I've, uh, be- because they're trying to find a reasonable explanation or a pleasant explanation for why, for instance, a trusted leader or someone who should be a trusted leader, like a pastor, that kind of thing, would be, would be behaving um, in this way. And I think that's why sometimes um, pastors and spiritual leaders who are not healthy, who are guilty of abuse, mm-hmm. can sometimes do it for, get away with it, if you like, for, for a long time because, right. because, you know, they're given a benefit of the doubt. Now, I believe that Christians ought to give each other the benefit of the doubt, but mm-hmm. it shouldn't surprise us that uh, manipulators use the virtue of other Christians uh, to get away with what they're, with what they're doing. Right. Actually, reading a very interesting book at the moment, uh, "Snakes in Suits," when, <laughs> when psychopaths go to work, <laughs> by Paul Babayak and Robert Hare. And one of the uh, first one is very interesting, just as a as a general book. It, it it every chapter begins with a little story, and I'm not a big little story guy at the start of chapters, but the actual analyses of of psychopaths is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And one of the points they make is that uh, religious institutions are often uh, at sort of the the center of of psychopathic phenomena Mm. because religious people, decent religious people, tend to be instinctively trusting, trusting of each other and trusting of their leaders. And so all that you've described, Amy and Todd, in terms of all this bad stuff going down, but the knee-jerk reaction being, I must be the problem, not the psychopath who's gaslighting me. Right. Uh, that, that exists in spades in religious institutions. Mm-hmm. I'd certainly recommend this book. Yeah. I think it's not a Christian book. But for anyone out there wanting to be alerted to some of the, the pathologies and patterns of behavior that abusers have, it's an extremely interesting read. And I, and I would say also... Um, as with all things, be very cautious. If, if you want to do some research on this, be very cautious with what you find online. Um, uh, one person, and, and Amy mentioned her, I've I found Julie Roy's to be a, 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 a trustworthy guide on some of these issues because she's a professional journalist and she's careful about um, the work she does. She's also an evangelical Christian and uh, is like-minded in so many areas and and has done great work in exposing some rather famous actual spiritual abuse things. So I think, um, but but so much of the other stuff. So for instance, I, I was on a site today, uh, a spiritual abuse site, and and among the things they listed, things that were genuinely spiritual abuse, they also listed other signs of spiritual abuse. And among those things were teaching tithing, um, quote, an emphasis on tradition, 
uh, quote, quote, <laughs> quote, um, how about this music standards? What? Sorry. Um, music standards. Music standards. Uh, yeah. yeah I think for, yeah. Here's, here's yeah. another one. Uh, fear um, concerning the punishment of God. So that's going to put Jesus and the prophets and the apostles in a, in a bad yeah, way as well. Um, another one um, being taught to deny the appetites of the body. And that's a direct quote, being taught to deny the appetites <laughs> Sorry, of the body. Sorry, I laugh, but yeah. I have no idea what that even means. Yeah, well, <laughs> so I, I, I bring that up to just say, be careful, because what we, what we want to be careful to say is, is that spiritual abuse is not, although these things can be used by an abuser in an unhealthy way, in and of themselves, spiritual abuse is not church discipline. It's not accountability. It's not correction or rebuke. Yeah. Spiritual right. abuse is not the preaching of God's law. Spiritual yeah. abuse is not membership vows. Spiritual abuse isn't conflict. No. So be careful with that stuff. Right. But a, an abusive pastor or an abusive church can use church discipline, for instance, in an abusive way. Right. When it's practiced beyond the biblical prescriptions, when it's ex- exercised uh, uh, very selectively, or when and it's done. Yep. And when it's done vindictively rather than. Mm-hmm. It, for the biblical motives, yeah. then this good and necessary gift of church discipline mm-hmm. gets, gets unused. A- accountability. Again, accountability. We need that in the church. That's a part of our, exactly. of our discipleship. However, when accountability turns into something, you know, Amy, you use the term heavy handed, when it becomes heavy handed, when it crosses physical boundaries, when it involves any kind of sexual impropriety, when it is intrusive beyond what the scriptures call for, when it binds your conscience beyond what the scriptures call for, and it's a pattern of that, mm-hmm. then it becomes something that at minimum is really unhealthy and can certainly become uh, abusive. Absolutely. And I think one of the main things with the pattern of abuse is that it's always seeking control at the cost of another's dignity, Mm -hmm. um, freedom, and reputation. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a big, and and there's such good manipulators that uh, I've heard the term vulnerability, F-A-U-X. So they're like faking vulnerability even. Um, and so then they do that to constantly like renegotiate boundaries all in the Mm -hmm. name of trust. So, you know, that is, I mean, it's very manipulative. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what's interesting, you want to offer grace and forgiveness. And so you really need to know the differences too, I think, in clarity about forgiveness Mm-hmm. And, and reconciliation. You know, that interesting term, uh, faux, as in fake vulnerability, vulnerability. Yeah. I didn't think of that term, obviously, but that principle came to mind just the other night when I was watching um, a video that uh, Julie, I think Julie Royce might have linked to, but from one of the very famous pastors who ran his church into the ground and did a great deal of harm. And now he's coming, you know, he's making his comeback and, and there was all of this pathos and Mm -hmm. gentleness suddenly. And, Oh, he just, you know, he's just now he's this gentle, godly man. And, you know, all of the, the things that now became clear about his character are now Mm -hmm. covered in this. Wow. What a, what a gentle, humble man he is. And I'm sorry, I don't buy it. This is why (laughs) you should all be English. Because we <laughs> instinctively regard any show of emotion as fake. We're not going to take it. <laughs> yeah, this is why the stiff upper lip is yeah. so. Mm. And, and how about how about this? How about just just so that we're clear? Also, these in, in case you're it may, maybe you've been raised in a really crazy 
church setting. Here are some things that are just always wrong. I mean, obviously, I, mm-hmm. I hope obvious, but it's not obvious to everybody. Crossing sexual boundaries, always wrong. Right. Um, right. Uh, corporal punishment carried out by, by church leaders. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> it goes on, though. You know, uh, I was always walloping my congregation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always, that's always wrong. Um, taking yeah. advantage of people's finances. Now, that's not the preaching of tithing. That's not calling your people to give faithfully, but taking mm-hmm. advantage yeah. And manipulating people. Having yourself me. named as a beneficiary of an <laughs> it, old lady's will. In your exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, false teaching. False teaching is abusive, particularly when we think about things like um, uh, a, a, a Judaistic kind of, of legalism, which places a burden of self-justification upon people's shoulders. Paul was very clear about that in Galatians. Or like the prosperity gospel which burdens people with this idea that they're not going to be healed. They're not going to be blessed unless they do thus and such. Um, seeking to bind people's conscience, um, using shame in order to punish yes, people. That's you know, a big these one. are things that are always yeah. wrong. Anything that you all would add, I mean, those, several of those well, are fairly broad. But I, I, would, I would make a general, if I can make myself vulnerable to you here. Yes. Uh, or phonerable. Phonerable, yeah. <laughs> I, when Jamie said phonerable, I thought it was something with phones. I was thinking, <laughs> is it? If your pastor yeah, calls you, yeah. I knew I was going to you You're in trouble. Um, I, I would, you know, talk in general terms. Uh, I'd want to track this back to, to church power mm-hmm. and say one of the things uh, that you need to have in any given church a clear limits to church power. Mm-hmm. And this is this has a twofold aspect. It seems to me, one is a confession of faith or a standard of belief. Mm-hmm which I think should be more rather than less elaborate. That's why I like the great creeds right. and confessions of the Reformation. But that sets, that sets the limits, if you like, to, to the authority of the leaders of the mm-hmm. church. And secondly, a set of processes by which a grievance can be addressed. Yes. Now, in saying this, that's not a magic bullet. No mm-hmm. system works better than the than the sum total of the people who are staffing right. it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can have, uh, I, mean, I experienced this recently. I contacted a, a minister in my own denomination to remind him of the need to stand up for somebody who's being slandered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can remind people of the standards they're bound to, right. but you can't make them follow them. So it, none of this is to say that, hey, Presbyterianism or never has a problem, never has a problem. But it is to say Presbyterianism has two things that every church should have. Yes. It has a clear statement of faith that should operate in some ways like the U.S. Constitution mm-hmm. as a delimiter of power of authorities. And secondly, a set of processes by which if you are being abused as a congregant, there is a process by which you can address that. Mm-hmm. That's not to say it'll work. Yeah, there's always the, well, it's run by the old boy network, yeah. Yeah, et cetera. The great right. thing about Presbyterianism is it doesn't stop at the local congregation. Right. It moves up to the presbytery and up to the General Assembly. And each time you move up, you're getting further removed from the old boy network in the local congregation. Right. But I think that was, uh, that's, I've, I've, I've used that to encourage new members in our church in a new members yeah. class to, it, to say, I've, I've held up the book of church order and said, listen, and I've used, I've said just exactly what you said about it, Carl. I said, but one of the things that's wonderful about this book of church order is that it clearly lines out what authority elders have yeah. and what authority they do not have. Yeah. Because we do need to remember the Bible is very clear that elders is to be held in honor. Yes. And those who preach are to be given double honor. And yes. one of the things that worries me a bit about the way the internet plays out now is 
I don't regard myself as a minister immune from criticism, right. but I'm staggered at the casual way in which ministers of the gospel are routinely mm-hmm. trashed by all and sundry, yeah. given that very clear teaching. Having said that, ministers of the gospel must be held to account, and we have proper, balanced procedures by which that can be done, which don't involve tweets and blogs. Right. Yeah, they but actually involve process. There are yeah. also ministers in our denominations doing those same things on oh, social yeah. media. Oh, sure. To people who are not in the kind of power that they are, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder. With it's even a lot less excuse. Than it sounds yeah. to do something about it. With yeah. even less excuse, because right. Paul isn't saying lay people have to respect ministers. He's just talking about ministers in general. Yeah, when, I know. I agree with what when, you're saying. When I ministers, saying when minister slanders somebody, that is a clear breach of mm-hmm. ordination vow. Exactly. Disciplined, or he should be defrauded. I mean, that—that mm-hmm. that is spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff you sent me by ministers in my own denomination makes me want to puke. What right. makes these men think they're qualified for ministry when mm-hmm. this is how they speak and talk right. about other Christians, regardless of whether they agree with your positions on things or not? It's a disgrace, and they should be held to account. Yeah, I mean, we've, we one of the conversations we've the three of us have had is I, you know, all three of us know about a a confidential uh, Facebook group and. And I, I've said if, if, if a member of, a, of the session of my church was a member of that group participating in the conversations I've seen with my own eyes that go on in that group, um, I'd go to that brother and say, hey, look, um, you got you to gotta resign. You've got to quit being a part of that group. If he refused, I'd bring it to the whole session and just say it at minimum is, um, is something that uh, harms your reputation in a way that is impinging on your vows. Yeah, I mean, and, if we go to 1 Corinthians 5, 11, Paul says, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister and is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or verbally abusive. Mm-hmm. A drunkard or a swindler do not mm-hmm. even eat with such yep. a person. Mm-hmm. So he yep. puts verbal abuse. Verbal abuse, yeah. Right there yeah. with sexual immorality. And that's yeah. a pretty unambiguous statement. Right. Don't even there associate. Are... They're calling themselves a brother and a sister. Right. So if, somebody's call- if somebody isn't only calling themselves a brother or a sister, but is in a position of spiritual authority, and they're verbally abusive, that's a real problem. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about... Um, Jesus's words from, from Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest take my yoke upon you. Um, learn from me. I'm gentle. Um, I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And that ministers who come to us in the name of, of Jesus, our, our pastors, you know, elders, et cetera, should embody that that attitude of, of Christ. Now, now that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't say hard things. We know that he yeah, said yeah. hard, hard things when they needed to be said. But, but, but the overall testimony is that even in saying the hard things that he said were intended ultimately to remove from those that he loved the burden of sin and the yoke of, of sin right, so that they right. could experience the light yoke of Jesus. And, and so uh, to me and, and all my fellow pastors, let's always remember that. Let's remember those words of Jesus. We're saying to people, come to Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And I don't want to add <laughs> to that, you know. And I think I would add that, you know, the the, the internet world provides a good example of the distinction we were trying to draw earlier on between stupidity and right. 
malicious abuse. Right. Right. Which of us has not said something stupid on the right. internet that we, we don't right. the reason One of the reasons I don't do Twitter and Facebook stuff like that is I don't want the temptation to mm-hmm. say stuff that I'm going to regret because right. mm-hmm. to the moment you can just say something. And I want to police myself on that. There's a difference between somebody who says the occasional stupid or even nasty thing yeah. and somebody who engages in a concerted campaign to belittle to gaslight, to denigrate somebody else. Mm-hmm. The, the former is forgivable. Right. The latter, the latter really requires fairly proactive uh, discipline. Handling Church discipline. discipline. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we should do a, a, another episode or not. You guys can decide, but um, you know, I'd like to talk about two other things and that is the effect that this has on, on, on the victims and mm-hmm. also yeah. um, what they can do. Yeah. I think that that would be valuable because, I mean, like I, I, I've talked to both of you about the fact that, you know, we have some precious brothers and sisters who are members of my church, just really wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ who, mm-hmm. who have come out of what I would not hesitate to call spiritually abusive mm-hmm. situations um, where there was lots of manipulation, tons of really pretty ugly legalism. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and fortunately, we're seeing them grasp the beauty of the gospel, but, but they've been very articulate in the damage that's, good. that's been done that's to good, them yeah. in those yeah. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, and pastors need to be aware of this. I mean, I count it a privilege to get to minister to yeah. these brothers and sisters because it's not really hard. I just give them the gospel and they rejoice in that mm. because yeah. they were not given the, the gospel. Yeah, but they're also getting an empathetic witness. Yeah, I, I, hope, I hope so. I, I know from our, from our session, praise God, the Lord's put men in their lives who, yeah. who, who embody that. I know these men. I work with them every day, and the Lord's mm-hmm. given our church just a group of godly men. And that's, the, you know, I would say to, to heavy-handed pastors, you are missing a tremendous blessing when you do not offer the, um, the cool and refreshing relief Right. of the gospel and the tender touch of Christ in people's lives. Yeah. And I mean, I, we got a lot of response from our first episode. Well, it wasn't our first time we've ever talked about it, but um, it's been a little while. And one of the comments made to me was, you know, what can we do um, if we're in a situation of spiritual abuse? Because now after having coming out of it and trying to confront it in a godly way, they now wish they would have just ran for the hills. Yeah. It would have hurt a lot less because right. there was no resolution, you know, that kind of thing. Man, yeah. that's horrible. Sad. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's probably a topic for another yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about um, the effect it has on the victim because yeah. like I said, first there's this, I think it's a sense of, am I crazy? Right. Because am I the only one who sees this? Um, and, right. and, Spiritual abuse can really cause a lot of physiological um, side effects, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very stressful. And, um, you know, kind of what I was mentioning with you, Todd, like if you don't have someone witnessing it with you empathetically, right. Right. Um, I think that causes more pain mm-hmm. than the abuse itself. Yeah. And then if you can have a whole culture where that abusive person is thriving Right. You know, and being enabled. Yeah. Amy, I remember I was in one of those situations where just the, I was being just battered in Mm -hmm. in a church where I was serving. And one of the things that was so hard is when you knew that there were people there who were seeing it, 
mm-hmm. and knowing it was going on, but they so wanted to not be marginalized themselves. Right. They did not stand up and do the right thing. Uh-huh. And that was, that was terribly difficult. That hurts more. That. It was, oh, it was awful. It was awful. And I remember meeting with um, a, a well-known Christian biblical counselor um, who met with me and some of the, the leadership of this church to try to speak into this situation. And, and it was at a time where I was beginning to think, maybe I'm just crazy. Yeah, that's what you think. Maybe I am just completely nuts. And, and there, maybe I am an awful, awful person. And mm-hmm. we sat, a group of us sat in his office and, and I hardly said anything. They began talking back and forth. And at one point, this, this very composed, professional, well-known, published biblical counselor put his hands on his forehead, leaned his head all the way back in his chair and began to shake his head. And, and that was like a cup of cold water in the desert because Mm -hmm. I saw that he saw what I had been experiencing. And for the first time in a few years, there was somebody, an objective observer that said, this is insane. And so when somebody's being beaten up like this, when somebody's being spiritually abused, a friend who can identify it with them and call it what it is, is enormously important. Yes. And then, I mean, I think that that is a huge step of, you know, what you can do is they need to hear that they're not crazy. Right. They that need what, to hear that and probably over and over again. Yes. And that what is happening to them is actually wrong. That it, this is wrong. You're right. being sinned against. Yes. And if you're in a situation like that, you know, maybe you need to step out. Maybe you feel like you are crazy. Mm-hmm. Step out from your spiritual, you know, whether it's your church or organization and ask advice from an outsider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a really good thing to do because people on the inside can all get sucked up into the manipulation right. and, and to the abuse. You might be in a whole culture that's enabling it. Yep. So. Yeah. I think that that's a good first step sometimes if you're really feeling crazy. Yeah. Another thing I would tell pastors to do is um, be sure that you're having good conversations with people in your church. Have good conversations with people who are, who are new to your church. If, if, if they've left a church, find out why. Because I know in my church we have some, some refugees, oh, yeah. uh, so to speak, oh, who, yeah. who have fled um, some what I would genuinely call some spiritually abusive situations where there was really heavy handed Mm -hmm. discipline, where there was uh, the preaching of the law without the preaching of the gospel Mm -hmm. and where there was what, what genuinely was legalism. Yeah. I was going to say, usually it's even more than, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's, it, it, it's extra biblical law. Right. Right. It, 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 it's, it's not the faithful preaching of the law, which right. then leads to the faithful preaching of the gospel, but it really was legalism. And one of the things that that's done for me in, in chatting with these brothers and sisters is, first of all, I've seen once again how powerful just the simple proclamation of the gospel is, because that's like, uh, that, that's been a balm to their souls just to hear the gospel preached. So pastors remember that never keep the gospel from your people. And, and the other thing is, is I've been helped in some of my application in my conversations with them, some of my sermon application. So that as I'm, yes. preaching, I'm sensitive to certain kind of triggers where people have been wounded really deeply. And that helps me to kind of know how to, to bring up certain issues of application, how to apply some of that, right. which has been incredibly um, uh, healing for some of the, 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 the folks in, in my church. And so um, that's been a good education for me, just hearing from a few of the folks in my church that have been 
kind of these spiritual refugees. My one caveat again would be look at it from the pastor's perspective. Sometimes if it's not the pastor doing the abuse, yes, uh, you know, to sit in your study or your office and hear somebody telling a very plausible story, uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Right. And, and, and one of the things I think that, that the, the spiritually abused person, hard as it is, sometimes has to be, is, is patient with the pastor. Yeah. The, the system is set up, you know, church judicial systems are set up like the civil judicial system, and that is really innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And, and, and there's a good reason for that. Unfortunately, that does mean that the onus lies often on on the victim, which right. can be hard, but it does mean that the pastor at times can't move as fast or, or sometimes right. needs to gather information. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember once we had a situation and, and the person concerned, it was not with me, but it was with somebody else had, had raised an issue. And uh, the, the, the pastor who asked a question about this person was immediately accused of victim blaming. Yeah. It was actually the first time I'd ever come across the term when it was reported to me. There is a sense in which pastors, they don't have a God's eye view of things. Mm-hmm. They have, they to, have to go on, on what they see in front mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. And so uh, I, I would say if you're being spiritually abused, see what processes are available to you yeah. within your church to address it. If there aren't any processes, then maybe you want to be in a different church straight off. Well, that's But, the, yeah. but also understand that those processes are designed to to be fair Mm -hmm. rather than simply take the alleged victim at their word and and please don't leave me there saying oh truman's against victims or this Mm -hmm. not at all i'm just saying this is how it is and there is a good reason why it's set up this way even though it does mean there's a certain amount of collateral damage uh, involved same as there is in law and and i i mean i i don't i don't I've never met a pastor who has not been falsely accused of something. Yeah. Todd, both you and I have. (laughs) I I have had some people say some horrible things about me. Now, uh, you know, I've got a whole list I can make of myself that, that can point out my blind spots and, and areas where I struggle and that kind of thing. But I mean, I've, I've been genuinely textbook definition slandered uh, by, by some folks and that's, and so it does happen and we need to be very careful to know that sin affects us all. You, you've got genuine spiritual abusers out there, and you also have folks who throw that accusation around where it actually hasn't happened. And, and, and if you're caught in the middle, someone trying to figure out where the truth lies, it does take time often. And, and that makes it you know, harder on the actual victims. Every false accusation makes yeah. it harder on the victims. Yeah, yeah and, and, and shame on them. But right. at the same time, I think I would say as the pastor hearing or an, or an elder hearing this, take it seriously in the sense of move quick, oh, yeah. get your yeah. information. Yeah. When you do have your information, then, you know, these people are destructive and they're mm-hmm. continuing to hurt mm-hmm. in a position of spiritual authority. Mm-hmm. So something needs to be done. And it may yep. well be helpful for the, for the, the victim, the alleged victim, whatever, to have an advocate. To act as a kind of go-between yeah. or representative with the pastor mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. sometimes the pastor is going to need to have a conversation where emotions can get in the way yeah. of the yeah. action the cross is. It's good to, as, as when we go to law, we have a lawyer to represent us. Right. Mm-hmm. It's good, I think, to have an advocate who's sympathetic but has just that little bit of distance from the situation to be able to handle the kind mm-hmm. of the, it in a more matter-of-fact way when right. necessary. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you, the, the, the subject is 
uh, uh, necessary. It's, it's unfortunately necessary because it, it goes on. And as we mentioned uh, in the last program, it, it goes on in little bitty churches and in great big mega churches and, and, and everywhere in between. It's no respecter yeah. of persons in, in, in those terms. And um, I, I, I would encourage folks be in a church that has clear processes um, uh, clear ways to deal with these things, clear ways where, where both the congregation, uh, the, the, the laity and the officers are, are accountable to someone where that's, where that's practiced. Um, doesn't mean it'll always be practiced well, but at least be in a church where there are real mechanisms for that to happen. Um, and that's healthy for everybody. Well, we, we, we hope this has been helpful. Obviously, it's a subject that we could uh, talk even more about. There's lots of uh, uh, landmines you have to avoid when walking through this situation. Spiritual abuse is, is a very real thing. I've seen it happen. I, I have dear friends that it's happened to, uh, members of my congregation who have been through it. So it's a real thing. It does real damage. And, and if you're a pastor out there, just please be aware of your own heart, um, your own words, your own preaching, um, so that the things that you are doing are for the good of your people. Now that is going to include things like saying the hard thing in season, but also make sure you're saying uh, the soft and comforting thing as well. Uh, preach the law and the gospel. Don't burden your people with a yoke that they were never intended to be burdened by. And, and, and for goodness sake, never ever uh, manipulate or use your people for your own ends or your own good. And, um, because we're all sinners, because we're all struggling against temptations, I think a lot of otherwise good and sincere ministers end up doing things that they never would have thought they would have done. So keep a watch on your heart, stay accountable, and if you're the object of spiritual abuse, find yourself in a church that is healthy, that proclaims the gospel, that loves the Lord and loves their neighbor. Um, we hope this has been helpful for you. Please go to our website, mortificationofspin.org. We're going to be linking to a video that we think will be helpful for you. And if you'd like to, there's also a way that you can uh, make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to produce this kind of content. And we're so grateful that you joined us today. We look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. I'm, I'm going, listen, when we record next week, I'm going to personally say, I want everybody to know that Amy Bird had to wait until 1230 because she's out grocery shopping yeah. in the mornings. We had to give a husband a foot rub. Exactly. Grocery shopping. Now that goes the exactly. other way around. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one good thing coming out of this coronavirus is they're thinking of banning hugging in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> is there I, was, hug I was a man born out of time. Is there, there hugging? No
there, there hugging be, in the UK? There would be no coronavirus if people didn't hug. It's utterly irresponsible. You didn't know there was hugging in the UK. <laughs> no, it's, I, I think it's a, it's a journalist starting a campaign for it. Unfortunately, there is a bit of hugging. <laughs> so, so. People have just listened to me and stayed away from other people. Yes. Be a problem. Exactly. <laughs>